welcome to episode 67 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Today is Monday, January 16th, 2017. Happy Martin Luther King Day, although I'm not sure that we're going to get this episode up um, by the, while the holiday is still going on, although it will have maybe just ended. Uh, I'm your host this week, Sam Klein. Since we last spoke, uh, Duke lost uh, two basketball games, one in Tallahassee and one in Louisville. Uh, some other stuff from around the world. Uh, World of Sports, Clemson beat Alabama in the college football playoff. And here uh, at the podcast, uh, our own Jason Evans, who is calling us, I think, today from his home in Atlanta, turned 50 years old. Jason, happy birthday. Oh, no. You're telling everyone I'm an old man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. 5-0, the big 5-0. This means I remember when Coach K was just starting at Duke. Uh, you would be the only one among us, uh, so <laughs> I, will, I will therefore introduce our other co-host. As usual, we have Donald Wine, who is in Washington, D.C. And I'm not 50. And you're not 50. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not one yet. day. They, hey, they, I want you to know, people tell me I look really good for 50, and this is really important. I celebrated my 50th birthday. I woke up early. Um, I went out on Sunday morning, and I played basketball, as I do almost every Sunday morning, with a bunch of my buddies, um, and it's not like a special like over 45 league or something like that. I play with young guys. I play with old guys. I play basketball virtually every week, and I plan to until the day I die. Uh, so we're really proud of you. That's, that's... <laughs> I didn't say I played well. I didn't say I yeah, played well. <laughs> uh, Jason, I, I almost got to play basketball with Jason when I was in Atlanta recently, um, but the, uh, the game got, got called off for some reason. Um, we just so, told you that. We didn't want you to. No, I'm kidding. That's fair. You, you, sir, I, I, I believe I have friends who, well, I'll say I believe I have friends, and then subsequently I believe I have friends who listen to this show who would tell you that you don't want to play basketball with me. Um, so it was probably for the best. Anyway, let's get, uh, there, there's, there's quite a bit of Duke news that we need to get to this week. Um, so like I mentioned at the top, uh, Duke lost, unfortunately, two games on the road this week, one to Florida State and one at Louisville. Um, we said on the show last week that these are both going to be really tough games, that Duke would be probably feeling good about themselves if they left last week going 1-1. One and one. They would feel ecstatic going 2-0, and oh, and that if they went 0-2, oh well, you know, two top 10, 15-ish talent teams on the road. Um, this is the kind of thing that can happen. So I will throw it to Donald first um, for general impressions from Florida State and from Louisville. Okay, so I'm going to break these down a little bit uh, game by game. So the first with uh, FSU, um, I think we, we started out okay. Um, we weren't, like, firing on all cylinders, but we weren't also playing terribly. And I think in, in the end, we eventually just got outplayed by a really good Florida State team. They were fired up to play. Um, they really de- they just destroyed us in the paint. They outscored us 56-28 to 28, um, on second-chance points, 19-7. to 7. Our bench was outscored 21 to four, and they had 22 points off of turnovers. The second half, it seemed like it all fell apart. We we really fought hard in that first half. I believe it was 34 to 30 or something like that at the end at halftime, uh, and then it all came apart. They shot 58 percent in the second half. We shot 37 uh, percent. The last thing, turnovers. Uh, 16 turnovers against FSU. Um, we had a couple guys that, that scored well, uh, Jason Tatum and Luke Kennard, but. Uh, uh, other you know, other contributions, especially from our bench, were lacking uh, in that game. So uh, that's where I'll leave it with Florida State. With Louisville, I thought, again, we played tough. I thought we played a lot tougher than we did against Florida State. We shot fairly well. We defended fairly well. Uh, we got as many rebounds as them. We shot a similar uh, percentage from the floor uh, with Louisville. Uh, Grayson Allen had 23 points and was hounded the whole game. Uh, Luke Kennard had 17 points. Jason Tatum won. There are two things that I think were the difference in that game. The first one, which was probably the shocking one, uh, Ennis Mahmoud for Louisville just went off in the first half for 13 points. He only averages six and a half a game. And more importantly, I think the second thing that was a real stinker is we had 18 turnovers. That's 18 uh, shots that we didn't get. Um, I think if we had attempted 18 shots with our uh, 47% shooting that we did for the entire game, we would have won that ball game. If Mahmoud doesn't get his 13 points, we win that ball game. We, I feel like we got into Louisville's game um, with about 10 minutes left. They wanted to dry, dry it out, drag it out, make it really physical. Uh, and with about 10 minutes left in the second half, they just hit a gear and expanded the lead to about 10 points. And we never really could, came back from that. Uh, again, our bench didn't perform. 
the only points from our bench was a Frank Jackson three-pointer. Um, Javon Delorier, Chase Jeter, Marquise, Marquise Bolden uh, got 29 minutes and did not attempt a shot. So uh, I think we, we – the final thing also, you know, our assist-to-turnover ratio is very alarming. We only had eight, eight assists against Louisville, 10 against Florida State. And that means we're not moving the ball around, and we just can't overcome uh, the high number of turnovers that we had uh, in both games. Did you feel like, Donald, that if you had flipped the script on these games and said Duke was at home for two games this week against top 15-ish opponents, they played, FS- they played FSU, they won 88-72, to 72, they played Louisville, they won 78-69, six- to 69. do you feel like these would be sort of your standard Duke the last – 15, 20 years at home in Cameron against conference opponents where, yeah, the opponent might be good, um, but Duke with the home court advantage, you, you know, you might be able to hang with them for a half, but then in the second half, they're going to go on that run and then it's just going to kind of be over. Um, do you feel yeah, like that was sort of the way that both of these games went? I think they did in, in reverse. You know, I, I think right. in both, in both instances in the second half, I mean, the first half, like I said, we played really tough. You're going into halftime. You're, I think we're down in both games, but we're not down much. And it's only like four or five points, right? And, and you could you it, it was easy to envision at halftime of both games how Duke could turn it on. I mean, especially against Louisville, where as you point out, Mahmoud was just having the game of his life. Mm-hmm. And you know, if he cools off, which he did in the second half, um, you could imagine Duke easily figuring out how to score against Louisville and and make a couple of stops because their offense isn't nearly as good as their defense is. Um, and managing to win that game. And um, you know what? Momentum is a hell of a drug, as uh, Rick James might have said about basketball. Right. <laughs> um, and, that's what they, and that's what happened. Like, again, just like you said, in Cameron, we get a couple points here. We get a couple stops. It's, it, be, it, it becomes that patented Duke run that no one ever uh, catches up to. They did that against us in both instances. Florida State had a nice little run, and they just went on a tear for about 15 minutes where it seemed like everything, whenever we had a chance to creep back into the game, they would hit a three-pointer, they'd get a stop, they'd hit another three or a dunk, and, it, and that momentum was lost. Against Louisville, I feel like there's a little bit of clawing back, back and forth, um, but when they got that 10-point lead, there wasn't, it, it's not like it was a comfortable 10-point lead. We kept cre- you know, chipping away at it one by one, but again, we'd get down to maybe six, five, four-point deficit. Harry Giles would miss two free throws. Miss two free throws, they come back, they hit a three-pointer when they're not really supposed to be hitting three-pointers. They don't hit a lot of them, um, and that's that. Like, you, you get, you, all of a sudden, you're back down eight, back down ten, and that's the, that's the morale killer. So I, I just think that was a tale of two halves. Jason, jump in here. What, what did you want to add? Um, I, I don't know if you guys just noticed, but I think I just saw just a second ago we got beat for another dunk on a poor recovery from a screen and roll. Um, I, I just saw it happen again because I've been seeing it friggin' in my sleep nonstop. Both of these games, I thought our 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 freshmen and sophomore, because Chase Jeter, I'm gonna include you in this as well. Our young big men just had so much trouble on defense, and we got we got killed inside in both of these games. Time for Stat Boy Jason to give you some stats. Um. Against Florida State, they had 14 offensive rebounds, and we had 20 defensive rebounds. They had 14, we had 20. So when the ball went up, they had about a 41% chance of getting the rebound if they missed it. On the other hand, when we took a shot, we had 10 offensive rebounds. They had 24 defensive rebounds, which means that we only had about a, we had about a 29% chance of getting our misses. I'm not sure if you followed all those numbers. The simple math was against Florida State, when they shot the ball, if they missed it, they had a really good chance of getting the rebound, and we didn't have as much of a chance of getting the rebound. And that's to say nothing of the times they contested our shots at the rim and caused us to miss, or the times that they drove to the rim and were able to score almost at will. Um, And it was the same story against Louisville. I mean, you guys talked about Mahmoud, but Mahmoud was doing it because... He would go out, he would screen for his man, and Giles or Jeter would, would hedge on the screen, and then when they had to recover, they couldn't recover in time, and Mahmoud had a dunk fest. Uh, it, it was... Our, our, screen, our screen defense was terrible. Go, go ahead, go ahead. I, I'll... The Louisville game where Duke was like, all right, well, we're not playing man well, let's switch to zone, and then Louisville proceeded to hit like three or four three-pointers. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the- which they wouldn't have continued doing. I, I wish we would have stuck with the with the zone a little bit longer because we were really uh, our our young big men are are just lost on defense. And I and oh. I, I I mentioned Giles, I mentioned Jeter, Bolden and Tatum are, are no better at this. Um, watching well, watching them play zone was also kind of tough because you could tell they haven't practiced it nearly as much as they probably did last year. Um, I, I noticed in particular Jason Tatum there he was playing on one of the you know deep wing positions and. Um, there were times when he was like all the way up in front of the three point line, like at the top of the key, playing that defensive position, which like he shouldn't be there ever if he's playing that spot. So I, I'm not sure that they were really ready to do that. And maybe, um, you know, maybe with the time off this week, they'll work on that and they want to play more zone. I don't know why they would. Um, the, the bench is certainly deep, although against Florida State, Kennard um, played all 40, Tatum played 38, Matt Jones played 36 minutes. So, um, you know, even in years when we talk about talk about the bench being long and and Duke not knowing what to do with all these guys, um, obviously Jefferson's out, but um, but the bench is still short. And and well, well wait, I, I mean, Capel, Capel, who who we know from from his brief coaching stint last year with the one game, is is not shy about putting guys out in the game against Louisville. Marquise Bolden didn't even play in the first half, um, so there are certainly guys in this team that the coaching staff trusts and guys that don't and. And Bolden, who was a guy at the beginning of the season we thought was going to leave early because he was going to be a first-round NBA draft pick, has basically fallen out of that due to injuries and and pretty much can't get on the floor because uh, because what's he? Uh, it's not clear what he's adding to the team right now that Chase Jeter can't do. Well, you say our bench is deep. Florida State outscored our bench twenty-one to four. Yeah, yeah, and they they ran us into the ground. I mean, the reason we we couldn't come back in that game. The reason, you know, you said, like you guys said, it was close game at halftime. We couldn't come back in the second half because we were exhausted because they just kept wave after wave after wave of big guys, long guys who contested everything and wore us down. And, and, and props the to them. The game, and towards the end of the game, it seemed like Duke was taking a lot of shots, especially from deep, that they weren't necessarily comfortable taking. And like you said, it, it looked like they were worn down and the announcers were talking about it. And you could see Grayson Allen was worn down. He didn't even really play that much. Um, Jones certainly was at the end. So yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And the, and, and all that depth that we talked about at the beginning of the season hasn't really manifested itself. Now it's not necessarily fair to criticize given all the injuries. Um, but, but you got to look at that and think, you know, wow, what a, what a, what a departure from where the preseason expectations were. Um, well, I did want to hide, go ahead. Uh, so uh, let me get a couple other things in really quickly. I, I mean, yeah, these guys have been hurt and there's no question that the injuries are deeply, deeply affecting Duke. Um, but still, midway through the second half, Anas Mahmoud had, <clears throat> had 13 points and seven rebounds. And at that same moment, Harry Giles had zero points and one rebound. Um, Harry Giles, supposedly, is going to become one of the uh, uh, top big, men's in the NBA, big men in the NBA draft. The NBA is salivating over the prospect of getting this guy and and I mean, we were hearing, um, you know, he was going to be a top five pick, then a top 10 pick. And, and he's still probably top 10 or top 15. But Anas Mahmoud destroyed Harry Giles. Um, I know he's hurt. I know he didn't play heck for almost two years. But ESPN's John Gassaway, who, who's one of the uh, you know, guys who writes and talks about college basketball for ESPN, not one of the more famous ones, but um, uh, one of the ones who I actually think is a little bit smart, John Gassaway had this to say in a tweet um, midway through the Louisville game. He said, Emile Jefferson is a very good player, but compared to Duke's current front court alternatives, he's Bill Walton in 1973. Now, we talked about how old I am and how young you guys are. Bill Walton in 1973 had one of the best college basketball seasons ever. Bill I Walton know. was amazing. Yeah, he was amazing. I, I was going to say, I know, and, enough about, I know enough about Bill Walton. Um, as a player to know that that at whatever age he's at now, he's allowed to be a basketball commentator and talk the way that he talks on national TV and no one seems to care. So he must have been amazing as a player. He he was absolutely incredible. And John Gassaway's point is, um, you know, Emil Jefferson's a fine player compared to what Duke has right now, compared to what and look, I, I love these guys. I love their potential for the future. And I think they, there's plenty of time for them to develop. But at this very moment, Jason Tatum, Marquise Bolden, Harry Giles, Chase Jeter are not getting the job done. 
they're just not there and they're really not getting it done on defense so I'll um, add, let me add to that ahead. a little bit yeah. I, I think one thing when you talk about Emil Jefferson that we're missing we're, we're we talk about his leadership all the time and that is sorely missed right now um, but the one thing that I think that he is good at is covering for these in, these these inefficiencies that we have or deficiencies that we have on the defensive end, uh, especially underneath. For example, there's been a couple times when, you know, he would play and that backdoor cut that has been killing us the last few games, that would happen. And Emil is there waiting to contest the shot or block the shot, or at least make it so they have to force something up uh, and he gets the rebound and we're, and we're off and running. We don't have that cover anymore. And I think that is what is being exposed right now. Um, you know, because if you think if you look back even to like, you know, before he was injured, they were doing back their teams are doing backdoor cuts against us when they were working. It was when he was not in the game. When he come back in the game, that was stopped. That leak was was sealed immediately. So I think what what's happening here is these guys haven't learned to play without him. And I think that has been what you see on the defensive end that these guys had almost, I don't want to say grown accustomed to, but they're, you know, they think, oh, if I get beat back door, somebody's going to be right there. And that somebody usually is Emil Jefferson, but Emil Jefferson's on the bench right now because he's injured. Yeah. So I want to add something about Emil Jefferson not being there um, because there were two plays to me. Uh, and we talk about him on defense so much, but there were two plays that stuck out to me because I went, oh, if Emil was there, he makes that play. In the first half, and they're both against Louisville, in the first half against Louisville, Grayson drove the lane, the defense collapsed on him, and he ditched to Chase Jeter, who was sitting on the baseline behind the D, that same play that, that Emil Jefferson does all the time, where you know he catches it and he's literally almost on the baseline, um, and then he goes up and he slam dunks it. And Chase Jeter did the exact same thing, except Chase was standing out of bounds when he caught the ball. Yep, I remember um, that play. He and, was standing Emil, with two feet out of bounds. Right, and Emil is right on that baseline and knows how not to be out of bounds. And then in the second half, we, we mentioned that um, I thought Bolden was injured in this game, but he eventually came in at the 13-27 mark of the second half. And the only thing that I remember him doing when he was in the game and, and I'm convinced that this guy is still hurt. He's still injured because there's no other explanation for his play thus far other than the fact that he's recovering from injury. The only thing I can remember him doing in this game, Grayson Allen, again, drove the lane. The defense collapsed on him. He tried to feed the ball to Bolden, and Bolden couldn't hold onto it and fumbled it out of bounds. Um, now, by the way, a lot of people are critical of Grayson Allen for getting six turnovers in, in the game. Um, I just described two of his turnovers. Bolden doesn't have any turnovers. He has a zero. Chase Jeter has two turnovers, and I checked the box score. When, when Jeter was standing out of bounds, that was a turnover given to Grayson Allen, not to Chase Jeter. Grayson Allen would only have four turnovers. He'd have two more assists, and Duke would have four more points at a minimum if Emil Jefferson is playing because Emil Jefferson makes both of those plays. And it's not that Emil Jefferson is super, super special. I love him. He's a great player. He's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm thrilled that he's here. But he's not like an otherworldly player. Um, it's that the guys who we currently have who are filling in for him aren't able to do, frankly, some kind of basic things. Yeah, and, and it's, it's disappointing because we know, like you say, we know what he could do um, if he was in there and that we wouldn't be relying on all those other guys. And, you know, if Jeter... If Jeter has a smaller role, he probably is thinking less about about all the things he has to do, and and he's probably playing better in limited minutes um, if if Jefferson is in there. I I, I just wanted to note um, that uh, I, I particularly wanted to highlight Grayson Allen's play in the Louisville game. I know there were a lot of negatives that we wanted to talk about here, um, but I thought that Allen had a particularly strong week. He got to the free throw line a lot against Louisville, uh, and that was really impressive. Um, the crowd there certainly doesn't doesn't like Grayson Allen. I mean, no one likes Grayson Allen these days in opposing arenas, but Louisville especially because uh, one of his one of his infamous trips from last year was against Louisville. Um, so the crowd was really letting him have it, and uh, and he didn't let it get to him. Um, there was there was one moment where he uh, where he got thrown to the floor, and there there was some there was some shouting that went on, but ultimately he recovered, and and he really he really played well um, this week. He got a bunch of assists against FSU and, and he got to the free throw line a lot against Louisville. And I thought that that was really impressive um, that he didn't kind of cave to all the, to all the pressure that's surrounding him and all the talk. You failed so to that, mention that he, that he also got elbowed in the face and slapped in the same play. Yeah. And 
and but somehow the, somehow the, America tried to flip it on him, but he right. still got up and he still kept playing. If yeah, but there was national outrage. Media doesn't want to talk about it. Then we don't have to talk about it, right? There, were, there was national outrage about that. I mean, there were tons of stories on ESPN. They examined it from. Oh wait, wait, they didn't. Of course not. Huh. Yeah, not against, hey. not against not against no name players from Louisville. Another another really fine, you know, high quality basketball team. Um, hey, one one last one last stat, one last thing I want people to pay attention to. Um, a really important statistic that I noticed in both of these games. Um, that I that I, I people who've talked basketball with me for years and years will know that this is one of my favorite stats that I think people don't pay attention to. It's field goal attempts, and the reason field goal attempts to me is so important is that it embodies two other statistics that everyone does pay attention to: offensive rebounding and turnovers. Um, Donald, you very excellently pointed out Duke's turnovers against Louisville. Every time you get a turnover, it's a time you don't get a field goal attempt. Every time you get an offensive rebound, is a time you get an extra field goal attempt. Against Louisville, we took 47 shots. We had 47 field goal attempts. They had 59. Against Florida State, we had 56 field goal attempts. They had 66. Both games, 10, 12, were, were being out field goal attempted by double digits. And again, is, against Louisville, if, if that difference is, is even close, Duke probably wins that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's a it's a really important stat that again I don't think people pay that much attention to. I'm not saying it's the end all be all of all statistics, but it's one that I'm going to be watching for this team because, like I say, I think it embodies some of the places where we're having troubles right now: turnovers and especially offensive rebounds for the other team. All right, let's uh, move to the. Uh previews for the for next week um so duke's got i, I will we'll go over the the games that are coming up and i'm also going to talk quickly about the schedule of shows here because as you'll note we're recording tonight today's show on monday usually i think we do them on sundays um but for the next few weeks duke has um has thursday monday games so today we're doing the show on monday for the following two weeks we're going to be recording after the monday games um, so the episodes will probably get recorded on Tuesday, maybe get released on Wednesday. Um, so don't be expecting uh, new episodes early in the week. Um, that being said, coming up this weekend, the first of those Thursday, Monday sets, um, Saturday, or sorry, of the Saturday, Monday sets. I don't know why I said Thursday, Monday, um, Saturday, Duke is home against Miami. Finally, they're back at home. It's uh, college ESPN college game day is going to be there. Um, and, and Duke takes on, um, Jim Laranega's team. And then, the following Monday, Duke's playing NC State also at home. So hopefully it's an opportunity here for Duke to get a couple of conference wins under their belt. Um, let's. I'll start with Donald because he's going to be previewing Miami because I think, Donald, you're going to be there. Is that right? I will be down there. Uh, I'm going down. I'm, I'm leaving D.C. for the weekend on Thursday, making a weekend out of it with uh, one of my best friends, and we're going to go down and experience all that campus and Durham has to offer uh, and then go to this game as well. Uh, so let's talk about Miami, Miami, 12 and four, two and two in the ACC. And Ken Palm has them ranked very high uh, that he has them in uh, 31st right now. But what they don't have is their non-conference schedule. They didn't play a lot of quality opponents and the ones they did play, they've lost. Uh, their four losses are against Iowa State, Florida, Notre Dame and Syracuse. Recently, their last game, they did win against Pitt, which was Coach Jim Laraniega's 600 victory as a coach. So they are back on track. They, they, they're kind of in the middle of the ACC, and this is kind of a, a down team consider, considering uh, what the previous teams the last few years have seen in Miami, but this is still a very good team. As a team, they're shooting around 47% from the floor, but what they do love to do is get into the paint and score points at the rim. They're led by Jaquan Newton. Uh, who's a 6'2 guard. He's supposed to be their point guard, but he concentrates more on scoring than distributing the ball. He averages 15 points a game and four assists, but this is not a pass-happy type of offense. He likes to penetrate, go to the hole, and occasionally will dish the ball off underneath uh, to one of uh, some of their, their tall trees there. Bruce, Bo Bruce Brown, uh, Ibuka Izundu, Kamari Murphy, or Dewan Huell. Um, these guys are finishing at an alarming rate. They're, they're getting a lot of dunks, a lot of layups. That is how they score. Um, they do have a couple guys who can shoot from three. Uh, Devon Reed, who's their 6'6 senior guard, takes the majority of their threes. Uh, and as a whole, they shoot pretty well. They're about 37% as a team. 
he also is one of their b- b- leading scorers. So if you see the dribble penetration, you're going to see uh, Newton or Brown kick out to uh, Devon Reed or Dejan Vazeljevic. Um, um, I, I keep mispronouncing that name, even though I watch him on TV all the time. Uh, he leaves. Wait, he, do, it, do it one more time. Do it one De, more time. Dejan Vazeljevic. That's awesome. Keep okay. going. Sorry. All right. <laughs> um, he leads the team shooting 40% from three. So those two guys are your, are your three-point specialists. Uh, Jaquan Newton, Bruce Brown, uh, Izundu, uh, Murphy, Huell. These are the guys are going to be finishing at the rim. They, do, uh, they play very long and very physical on defense, and they don't quit on a play. So when guys take the ball to the hole, they have to do it strong. Against Notre Dame, who I think they played very well against, they ended up losing that game. But they had 12 blocks against Notre Dame. And these weren't blocks that they were standing up toe-to-toe to them. They were also getting blocks from behind. They would get beat off of play into the paint, and they would recover very well. They will expose any weakness at the rim. So the guys underneath, Chase Jeter, Harry Giles, Jason Tatum, uh, Marquise Bolden. These guys have to take care of the basketball, and they have to be strong when they go up. And Emmanuel Jefferson, if he is ready to go, he he's very he's very strong, and I think he's going to have to set the tone underneath. Yeah, and it sounds like it sounds like um, Jefferson was day to day this early this week, but yes, that, um, but that he's hopefully going to be healthy by the time Saturday rolls around. Uh, I know just uh, Coach Capel said that if they had practiced today, Monday, uh, he would not have practiced, but they're taking it day by day, as you said, uh, and there's hope that he'll be ready to go uh, on Saturday. Uh, so I just want to give the, t- the keys of the game. Keys of the game, first one, defense. The games that they lost, they've averaged around 37% shooting. They're normally a 47% shooting team. Our guards need to be tough on the ball defenders, and they need to stop dribble penetration because that leads to a lot of their points. Meanwhile, oh, down low... Does that does that give you a little pause? Um, knowing yes. knowing what what happened against Florida State and Louisville this week. Yes, it's it's very reminiscent of Florida State and how they play. Uh, our big men also need to play tall down low and stop their men from finishing at the rim, which leads to my next key: rebounding. They are a good rebounding team, and even when they miss shots, they get a lot of second opportunities. Sound familiar? Sounds like the last week of basketball. We need to be active, and we need to put bodies on guys when the shot goes up, so that we can transition to our offense. The final thing, and this is the most important thing about how Miami plays, we need to play smart and not be forced into bad shots. That's what Miami wants, and they like to use their athleticism to make up for any talent deficiencies. We get them off of their game by making them play dumb. They, they have times where they turn the ball over a lot. They make bad decisions with the basketball. They make bad shots. And I think that is the key. If we can get them off of their game and get them to force them into bad decisions with the basketball, that's going to be our key. Getting points off turnovers, getting that momentum, it's a prime time affair. As you, as you said, Sam, it's college game day. The crazies are going to be riled up. They're going to want to get this team back on track. But Miami is going to never let up, and we need to make sure that we don't, we don't let up at any point in this game because Miami can't expose us. But if we play our game, if we have the momentum of Cameron, and if we make our shots and play smart with the basketball, we should be able to beat Miami. Yeah, I think that, that Duke's probably got a good shot here against Miami to get the win. Obviously, the team should be feeling a little more motivated after the tough week that they had. They're 2-3 and three in conference, and the ACC, as we have pointed out numerous times on the show, um, has a lot of talent top to bottom. Um, Notre Dame's in first place. They're, they're the only undefeated team in the conference left, and they weren't even you know one of the three or four teams we were talking about at the beginning of the season uh, as being – one of those top squads and they're at the top. And meanwhile, you know, the other top teams, Louisville, North Carolina, um, Virginia, certainly they've all, they've all looked good in their own ways. So, um, so Duke, Duke probably is feeling a sense of urgency and hopefully is able to get back on track against Miami. Jason, did you want to add something about Miami or do you want to move on to, uh, to the NC state Wolfpack? Uh, I mean, I can move on to NC State if you'd like. Um, Donald obviously knows Miami really, really well and very thoroughly. So let me tackle the Wolf Pack. Um, this was supposed to be, a lot of people thought this was going to be a season that NC State really rose up um, and, and you know, came close to the top of the ACC. There are a lot of people who thought they had, um, they had the elements to, to be a very, very powerful team in the conference. Um, and that's because they have this uh, point guard, Dennis Smith, who is one of the top recruits in the country. He's incredibly explosive. He's an incredibly quick. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's going to be 
probably one of the three to five first picks in the lottery in the NBA draft. The NBA is absolutely salivating over him. And the expectation was that with Dennis Smith running the show, that NC State was going to be really, really, really good this year. And they started off the ACC slate. You know, one of their, their second game in the conference, they played Virginia Tech, and they beat them 104 to 78. This was right after Virginia Tech had just beaten Duke. Um, and NC State absolutely crushed them. Um, and it looked like State was ready to really surge and, and really make their place in the conference. And things have not gone well since then. <laughs> Just this past weekend, they suffered their third ACC loss in a row. They lost to Georgia Tech by 10 points. Um, they are down to number 74 in Ken Palm. Number 74. They're not even on the bubble at this point. Um, their defense is terrible. Pomeroy says that they are number 161 in the nation in defensive efficiency. That is really, really bad. And they are terrible on the road. I'm going to give you an interesting little stat. You're going to like this, guys. So I looked at how these teams do against the spread. Do they meet expectations? NC State is 7-10 and 10 against the spread this year. They are 0-4 against the spread on the road. Um, and they will and be playing on the road when they play Duke. And not, what? and not even close to the spread in any of those games, because if you want to read out, no. um, they've lost on the road at Illinois by 14 points. They have lost to Miami by 18 points. They lost to North Carolina by a subtraction that I can't do. They lost at Boston College. Um, yeah. So, and, and pause for a moment and remember, they lost at Boston College. <laughs> Who's was bad? Right, and and all those games, they lost all those games by double digits. And the North Carolina game, we talked about this last week. They lost by fifty-one points. And 51. NC fifty-one. Remember, they were so thankful that Georgia Tech lost to Duke by fifty-three. Otherwise, NC State would have been the topic of conversation. But NC State was supposed to be much better than Georgia Tech. They have been abysmally bad on defense. Um, and 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 that is the problem for them. They don't play well together. They seem utterly disinterested on D. They they give up you know, uncontested shots if you want to take them. Um, it's just bad. It's really bad. And I think that their their hope, their expectation was that they can outscore these teams. Because like I said, Dennis Smith is a remarkable point guard. He averages more than 19 points a game for them. He averages more than six assists a game, more than four rebounds per game. Um, and he he's great at getting to the rim. He gets a ton of free throws. He's averaging almost seven free throw attempts per game. I'll put that in some perspective for you. Uh, Grayson Allen is the guy who gets the line the most for Duke. And I, I, I think Grayson Allen gets the free throw line a tremendous amount. He's only averaging five and a half free throws a, a game. Dennis Smith, seven free throws, uh, free throw attempts per game. Uh, you know, the, uh, many more than Grayson Allen. Um, so what's the, Jason, what's the, what do you think is the, the best plan of attack for Duke to playing defense against Dennis Smith? Oh, wow. I mean, you're going to have to help because he's going to go around whoever is guarding him. I, I imagine we'll see Matt Jones try and pick him up some of the time, although Matt Jones probably matches up a little better with Terry Henderson, who at 6'5 is their second leading scorer. He's their wing, um, and he's, uh, he's, he's a good outside shooter. I, mean, I, not- I, I don't know how – I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know that Duke will be able to stop Dennis Smith. Um, but Dennis Smith can score 30 points and NC State can lose. That's what happened over the weekend against Georgia Tech. He scored 31 and they lost by 10. So, so, it, might, so it might just be let Grayson Allen do his best against Dennis Smith, see what happens. Um, you know, don't, don't ask the bigs to do too much, um, but leave everybody else in place. And hopefully, as you said, Smith gets his and, and NC State overall as a team doesn't. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I mean, this is probably going to be one of those games where, you know, uh, Duke's going to score 85, 90 points or so because NC State's just not going to bother to to play defense on us. Uh, I, I think a guy like Luke Kennard, who's who's going to very adept at getting around his man and and getting into the lane and getting short jumpers that he that he hits at, at a prolific rate. I think Luke Kennard's going to have a huge game against NC State because NC State doesn't care to help each other on defense all that much. Um uh, you know, a couple other guys who are worth, I, I want to note, actually one of them who is really worth noting um, is Omer Yurtseven. 
who is from Turkey. He's seven feet tall. Uh, he wasn't eligible the beginning of the year. He's just become eligible in the, the past, oh, you know, eight or ten games, something like that. Um, and and Yurt Seven is a, a, a really interesting prospect for NC State. Um, the NBA has him on their radar. Uh, it, he is a remarkably skilled and efficient player in the post. Um, he, he can shoot both right and left-handed hook shots. Um, he has really nice footwork. He has good hands. He isn't strong yet, um, and he, didn't, he needs to put weight on his seven-foot frame, but the NBA is really watching this guy, and at some point, NC State expects him to break out. I hope it won't be against Duke. Um, we have struggled with guys in the post, um, uh, but I, I don't know how. The, and, the teams that struggled, have... We've struggled in a, in a limited sample size against guys from the Middle East as well. <laughs> right, that's true right and very I don't know very if that means anything but, but it is a fact <laughs> I, I don't think it does um the teams that have given duke trouble this year uh in, in all three of the recent games that we lost um it was teams that were really athletic and long and played intense defense against us um i, I think there's absolutely no question that that we faced teams that were committed to stopping us on d and that's not what we're going to get against NC State. Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe State finally gets it together. Maybe they figure it out. I kind of doubt it. I don't think that's too likely um, because Mark Gottfried is not known to be a coach who who really adjusts his team during the year and, and gets them playing a lot better at one point than they were earlier. They tend to be fairly even keel throughout the whole season. Um, uh, and I think that this state team is just going to give up a lot of points all year this year, uh, and they're just going to try and outscore people. And um, they're not efficient enough. They're not they're not quite good enough from the outside from three point land to be able to do that. They've got a lot of guys who hit like thirty five, thirty eight percent of their three pointers, but they don't have many. Uh, only Torin Dorn is the only guy who hits more than forty percent of his three pointers. He's actually hitting forty eight percent, but last year he only hit thirty four percent of them. So I think he's going to come back to the mean. He's not going to maintain this 48% pace from, from long range. State shoots a lot of threes and, and makes, you know, a not great percentage of them. Um, uh, and, and they don't bother to stop anyone on the other end of the floor. And uh, I, I think this will be a wonderful test of, of Grayson Allen's ability to create for other players on the Duke team because I think that we're going to see a lot of passing lanes be available against NC State. Um, and State doesn't play. State just doesn't play well on the road, like we said earlier. Uh, I'll be very surprised. Th- this would be a bad game for Duke to lose. Um, yeah. All the games we've lost so far are understandable. It, it would not be understandable if we lost NC State at, at Cameron. Being, being back at home and and as I said, having their backs against the wall, uh, you really got to expect that Duke is going to win both of these games this weekend and and get themselves back on the right track, especially if Jefferson is back. Um, yeah, but but backs them. against the wall. I mean, and, and NC State. You know they're playing. They've got Pittsburgh and Wake Forest this week at home. Um, uh, Pitt is the really tough one there, um, but it's very, very possible. It's, I think that it's it, not shabby. No, no. I, I, you know, I think State probably splits those two games. So they're probably going to be two and five in the ACC coming in that game against Duke. And and it's worth noting that the easy part of NC State's ACC schedule has already happened. They've already played Boston College. They've already played Georgia Tech. They're playing Wake Forest. Starting with the Duke game, it gets a lot, lot tougher for them. And, um, you know, there's a not unrealistic scenario where NC State is in the bottom two in the ACC, uh, you know, if they don't right the ship very, very quickly. We have a, we have a fun topic coming up next, if you guys are ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Um, so Jason pointed out to, uh, to me and to Donald earlier this week that uh, a, a story out of Duke that apparently tenting this year was extremely popular. And so the line monitors had to institute some kind of test um, for people to get tent priority or something. Jason, why don't you tell us about it? And then it sounds like uh, we're going to be playing, a, uh, playing the, the Duke trivia game here with you. Uh, yeah, and, and it ain't it ain't. Easy. So a friend of mine who has a son who is at Duke, um, there, there, is, there are different levels of tenting. So for people who don't know, who aren't on campus, there's black and white tenting. The black tenting starts at the very beginning of ACC play 
and and goes all the way through the the UNC game through the end of the the regular season. They they limit and, and it's very intense. These are the guys who have to be out there. They have to make a lot more tent checks. They have to be out there all the time. It, you know, it, it it's uh, it requires some major major commitment. Um, and they only have seventy spots. They only allow seventy black tents. They also have white tenting. And I think that's sort of unlimited. And, and that's not nearly as rigorous. It's for kids who actually want to go to class. But the black tents come first. And this year there were 160 groups, 160 different groups of people signed up to be a black tent. 160 signups, 70 spots available. They had to figure out a way to weed them out. And the way they came up with was they, they had a test of your Duke knowledge. And by the way, how Duke is it that they did this with a test? I mean, <laughs> we're so obsessed with, uh, with, with the learning on Duke's campus that the guys even had to learn about Duke basketball. And it's worth noting that my friends said that uh, kids were cramming and, and studying really hard for their black tenting exams uh, so that, they, that, so that well, they would pass and they'd be one of the 70s like spots. midterms at the beginning of the semester anyway, so what else are you working on? There you Pri- go. There you go. So, Pri- guys... Uh, it, it's a long test. I'm not going to give you every single question on it because it would take an hour or more. And I think on a lot of the questions, you guys would go, I have no idea. Um, so I'll just give you a sampling of some of them. and We'll see how you do. Uh, the first one, I'm not going to ask you guys to answer these first couple ones, but this will just give you a flavor for what the test is like. Name every player on the roster. Give their jersey numbers, their hometowns, and the high school they attended. Ooh. <laughs> like you would get like you'd get like the most of the players and get mo- almost all of the jersey numbers but you talk about hometowns and high schools like yo that's okay yeah we're starting off I okay that, i know that matt jones and marquise bolden are both from desoto texas and they right? both went to desoto high and they and they both went to desoto high school yes I, I i think knowing that and knowing what you guys know about the roster you guys probably would have scored really well on that question uh, another question that I, that I looked at and I was like, oh, my God. Jason, we should, we should note that we are people who host the podcast about the <laughs> Right. We, so we need to do well on this. Right. This could be the end of the podcast. Presumably we would do well. <laughs> but, yeah, with, um, even with that caveat, continue. Another good one was, what has been Duke's ranking in the AP poll each week this season? I oh, mean, I don't even look at their AP so the, poll one, anymore. The first, one, right, one, the first couple of weeks was one, and then, and one, then like, one, six, four, five. Was it, no, no we, we, six, like, we dropped to six. I don't uh, know. We were in six for a couple of weeks. We went back up to five. When we lost to uh, Virginia Tech, we went down to eight. Right, and now we're at 18. And now we're at 18. Yeah. Yeesh. So Donald's doing pretty well on this. Okay, right. here, we're, we're about to get to the ones that I'm going to actually, actually ask you guys to answer. You ready? Right, okay. So what's the? Uh, what's the oh, are you just going to go back and forth and do it uh, family feud style? Yeah, let's do it that way. Let's do it that okay. way. So, so because th- this is a perfect one for it. The next question: Name all six members of the Duke coaching staff, as well as their positions. Donald, okay. I'll let you go first. As okay. you mean their positions at, on, on the coaching staff? Yes. What is okay, their title? Okay, so there's Mike Krzyzewski. All shooting guards, Donald. <laughs> yeah, wait, that's wait, what I'm saying. <laughs> so, uh, Donald, do you want to do all? They're all shooting guards. Donald, do you want to do all six of them? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with, yeah, I'm gonna start with Coach K. He's the head coach. Okay. What's his name? Mike Shashevsky. All right, good. Jeff Capel is the associate head coach. Very good. Um, John Shire is the assistant coach. Yep. Um, Nate James is an assistant coach. Yes, excellent. It's about to get harder. Nolan Smith. Is a graduate assistant? <laughs> no, wrong. Ah. Is, I just made the X. Ah, you're wrong. Okay. So, so Sam, jump in. Do you know what Nolan Smith's title is? Um, he's a uh, he's a special assistant. Yes. Ah, you, special assistant. Can okay. you name right. the sixth member of the coaching staff? And for the record, I had to look this one up. I knew all the others. I had to look this one up. And it's not and. and is it it's the, not is Steven's it the, the uh, strength and conditioning coach, right? It's not the trainer. No, 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 no. Okay. Oh, is it the head of basketball operations? It is. That, is? is that What's Mike his Lee? name? Matt Pliskin? Did Donald get it? No. Is it Kevin David Cullen? David Bradley. David Bradley. No. Is oh, okay. oh David Bradley. Right, right. Kevin Cullen's the uh, video guy? Yeah. Yes, right, right. Yeah. That's pretty good. All right. Okay. You ready for the next one? These are hard questions. 
Yeah. Um, which Duke players were placed on one of the Basketball Hall of Fame's preseason watch lists? The Bob Cousy Award, the Jerry West Award, the Julius Irving Award, the Carl Malone, and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award. Which players were the nominees for those? Who are you giving this to? <laughs> Why don't you go first? Who yeah, is our right. nominee for the Cousy Award? There's, there's one for each, believe it or not. Who is our nominee okay, so, for the Cousy Award? Um, Grayson Allen. Wrong. Oh, sorry. No, oh, Frank Jackson. Frank Jackson for the Cousy Frank Award. Frank Jackson, correct. Yes. And then Grayson Allen for whatever the Shooting Guard Award is. Jerry West, that's correct. Jerry West. Duh. Um, the Julius Irving Award. The Julius uh, Jason Tatum. Correct. The Carl Malone Award. Marquise Bolden. Ah, wrong. He's a nominee for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award. Oh, Harry Giles. Ah, wrong. Emil Jefferson. Jefferson. Emil Jefferson was our nominee for the Sorry, Carl Malone I'm Award. Not, I'm not even giving Donald the shot here. <laughs> <laughs> I got okay, it right so, now. <laughs> so, so now we get to some questions that actually involve things that happened during the season. I expect you guys to do better on these. You're doing pretty well, but I expect you to do better on these. Okay, we, ready? I feel like at this point right now, if the, if the test ended right now, I feel like at least Sam and I would be one of the black tests. I think you probably would. Hopefully. Um, okay, you ready? So I'll, 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 whoever jumps in first gets this one. Which player successfully completed the bottle flip at Countdown to Craziness? Chase Jeter. Yep, <laughs> you both got it. Which Blue Devil suffered an injury on Duke's pro day? Jason Tatum. Sam was a little bit faster. Yes, he was. <laughs> one to one. Let's go. In our third game of the season, we played a major program in a neutral site game. Where did the game take place? Which team did we play? And who hit the game-winning shot? Frank Mason, Frank Mason. Kansas, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I couldn't remember, uh, I couldn't I think, remember I think, which uh, major arena it was in. Yeah, Donald had MSG. Yeah. Ready? This is a really good one. Which players have played in every game this season? Uh, Matt Jones and Luke Kennard. You are correct. Yes. That's it. I was thinking about Luke Kennard, but not Matt Jones. Yeah. What, was Jason Tatum's, what was Jason Tatum's first game? Tennessee. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Florida. State? No. Maine. Maine. That's what I'm thinking. What was Marquise Bolden's first game? He hasn't played it yet. Oh, <laughs> bird. Sorry. Ooh, that hurts. That's a negative point. It was also Maine. Where's was Harry Giles' first game? Tennessee State. That's yeah. correct. On November 23rd, what top recruit declared he would be coming to Duke by tweeting an announcement Wendell video? Carter. Wendell Carter. And what website helped him produce it? Bleacher, Bleacher Report. And what was the theme of the video? James Bond. Bond. You guys are good. <laughs> I mean, oh, if really, nothing, if nothing else, we can nerd right. out over this, right? You got me top 15. Yeah, right, right. Okay, another tough one. This is also about recruiting. List the players currently committed to Duke their, and their hometowns. Wendell Carter, Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, he's from Fairburn, Georgia, but I would accept Atlanta. And Alex O'Connell, who is from Virginia. Somewhere. He, he's also from Atlanta, Georgia, from the suburb oh. of Milton. Oh. And he plays for Milton High School. I know this because I'm in Atlanta. And, and there's one more. Gary Trent Jr. from Apple Valley, Minnesota? Uh, he's actually from Burnsville, Minnesota. Burnsville. Um, and bonus point, if you know, where does Gary Trent Jr. play his high school ball? Um, for, I do not know. For prolific prep out of Napa, California. That sounds like a real school. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question on the test what is the last question what should be the last question on every single test of duke knowledge how do you spell coach k's last name k-r-z-y-z-e-w-k-s-k-i and what how old is he 69 almost 70 on february 13th very impressive i think you guys so that was just a sampling there were a lot more questions um, I don't know who's still listening at this point to us just prattling on and doing trivia questions on the podcast. It's kind of worthless, maybe, but I don't know what the hell. But if anyone's still listening, um, it's really interesting. It's really fun. And I think you guys qualified for a black tent. Congratulations. You get to spend every day for the next two months freezing your butts off. Well, <laughs> I, never, I never black tented in college or blue tented. So, um, so this is a good opportunity for me. So the, the funny thing that I think very few people who listen to the podcast know is that two out of three uh, hosts 
of this podcast were headline monitors at one point in their career. Yeah. And one of the, the other hosts of this podcast hated the headline monitors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so screw you guys. We were I'm really nice. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I – I am not on the plaque of all the headline monitors. Because... Yes, you are. You are on the, you are on the kiosk. I double I checked am? last time I was there. Yes, you were the, oh, you were the second. Oh, that's awesome. I believe you were the second or first name on there. I, I mean, I, I don't want to brag. I should be the first name on there because there wasn't really a line until my 86. freshman year. Yep. Yeah, my, my freshman year is when the line first started, and it wasn't that we didn't call it headline monitor. It was merely that I had a I, I got out there, at, you know, uh, with a couple of buddies of mine. We were first in line to the game, and I had a piece of paper. And when people would come, whoever came next, they would go, "Oh, tell that guy, tell Jason," and I'd write your name down. And that's what we did. It was literally a piece of paper in my tent, and whenever someone came up, they'd have to write. Um, I'd I'd write their name down. That that was how the line. Um, originally came into being on Saturday. I'll double check when I go to Cameron because the kiosk will be up and I will snap a picture for you. Uh, if I'm pretty sure because when they did that whole project a couple years ago, um, we basically, if you guys recall, did a search. Uh, we did basically like a, a group chat on DVR where we just figured out all the headline monitors from 80, 88, 89, all the way. It really started in 88 was the first designation of a headline monitor. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think your name was in, included on there. So uh, I will take a picture for you. Um, mine's on there as well. Uh, it's probably one of the greatest achievements of my life. Cause uh, when I send it to my mom, I don't think she stopped smiling for a couple of years. Well, right, I'm, listen, I'm, nerds, I'm, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> let us, uh, let, us let us wax <laughs> no, we're done we're done i don't like the live monitors we're moving on um we're gonna wrap up here with our standard uh standard ends of the show we'll do player of the week real quick and then we'll give parting shots um so i'll start with jason give me your player of the week so uh, I, I'm going with Grayson Allen. Um, I, I picked him last week. Uh, I, I think that it was not easy to go on the road, um, given what's been going on, the controversy that's been, controversy that's been surrounding him. I thought he, he played both games um, with, uh, without letting the crowd affect him. Um, and, and I thought he played really well in both the games. He didn't play great against Florida State. I thought he was really, really good against Louisville. Um, and, uh, you know, came, came reasonably close to willing us to a win in that game. I, I, he was far and away our best player, I thought, against Louisville. So I'm, I'm picking Grayson Allen, who, who uh, I, I think will need to continue to really step it up and be, um, be a leader, even though he's no longer officially a captain. He will need to continue to be a leader for Duke moving forward, um, and, and he's my choice for player of the week. Donald? Uh, my player of the week uh, is Luke Kennard. When we've had scoring or we need scoring, uh, he's done it. And even what I thought was a pretty quiet game against Louisville, uh, he only had one three-pointer. He still ended up with 17 points. Uh, he had 23 against FSU, and he's been through uh, almost half the season, the most consistent scorer we've had uh, so far. That showed again last week, and that's why he is my player of the week. And by the way, he played 79 out of 80 minutes. I mean, that's... Yes. Yeah. He's a rock. Um, I'm, I'm, I sort of previewed my player of the week earlier when I gave Grayson Allen his shout out um, at the end of our recaps. Um, so I'm going to break the tie and give the podcast total vote to Grayson Allen this week for all the same reasons that Jason highlighted. Just, at, you know, with all, the, with all the stupidity that's been circling around him the last couple of weeks, um, he's really kept it together. And especially against Louisville, looked like he was not even, not just not letting the crowd get to him, but maybe channeling it into positive outcomes for himself. He was getting to the line. Um, he was making good passes. He was making good shots. So, uh, and hopefully he's just going to keep getting better from here. And hopefully that, you know, he's obviously been through some, some stupid stuff earlier this season. Maybe that, maybe that's motivating him um, to be on, on the right trajectory and to keep getting better and to play like the player uh, that we all expected him to be uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, Sam, I, I think it's worth, it's worth pointing out that last week at this time, you and I both said, if Duke goes 2-0 and this week, player of the week will be Harry Giles. Duke went 0-2. Yeah. Harry Giles, in both games, averaged six points and three rebounds. 
He was and, not and player of the week. And and that could be I mean, Harry Giles could be emblematic of all the of all the issues right now, right? I mean the yeah. defense not not letting guy the defense letting guys get to the paint at will. Um, you know, Giles. The lack of defensive guy, rebound. I, I and I noted in the um I noted in the Louisville recap how Giles missed a couple of free throws there towards the end that, you know, could have kept the game. I, I'm not gonna say that they would have turned the game, but they would have kept the game competitive longer uh, if he had been able to make a few more of those those free throws so um yeah and and we'll see uh we'll see how he if he if or how he improves this week um because he's certainly a guy that we expect a lot more out of um lots of seasons still to come lots of seasons still to come plenty of time for harry giles to be player of the week Parting shot for today. Okay, so I want to show some love to the Duke women's basketball team. They beat UNC last week, seventy to fifty-eight. And quietly, they, you know, we, the, all the talk has been about the men's team, the ups and downs. Uh, but they've had a pretty solid season so far. They're fifteen and three. Uh, they did actually have uh, two of their losses last week in between, or on either side of the UNC games. They lost uh, close games to FSU and NC State, but. They've had some wins, including uh, number three, South Carolina, number 17, Kentucky, and number eight, Louisville, during what was a 10-game win streak that they had. So uh, I just wanted to show them some love. Congrats to them on the victory against UNC, and hopefully uh, they can continue to do well during what is a tough January stretch for them coming up. Um, But they're doing all the right things, and I think, you know, obviously in women's basketball, the focus is on whether UConn will ever lose. Uh, But I think they can be a force in the NCAA uh, women's tournament come March. All right. That's a, that's a great one. Jason. Uh, so my parting shot is a uh, tip of the hat and a congratulations to Wendell Carter and Gary Trent Jr., both of whom were named to the McDonald's All-American team this year, uh, this week, just a, in the past day or two. Um, they are, uh, uh, there, there are a number of players on the McDonald's All-American team who are still undecided that Duke is recruiting, um, and, and Duke very, very much hopes to get uh, Mohamed Bamba, Trevon Duval, um, and Kevin Knox, uh, are all undecided, and and a lot of people think Duke is, you know, if not the leader for their services, certainly way, 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 way up there. But everyone thinks Kevin Knox is going to come to Duke. Most people are thinking that Duvall is going to come to Duke as well. Bombo, people are less sure of. Um, they say it may depend on who from Duke turns pro and who doesn't. But regardless, congrats to Wendell Carter and Gary Trent Jr. for making the McDonald's All-American team. And one of the most ridiculous, absurd, crazy, stupid stats I've ever seen in my life is that Duke has now had at least one McDonald's All-American for 33 straight years. That's that just silly. That's ridiculous. That That's incredible. just crazy. When you think about how many really, really good programs, um, I, I'd be willing to bet you that Notre Dame doesn't have a single McDonald's All-American on their team. I think it's pretty likely. You think about how many really, really good programs desperately struggle and try to even get one McDonald's All-American every couple years. And Duke has had one for 33 straight years. And we probably, most years, like this year, we have two. We'll probably end up with at least three or four this year. Most years, Duke has three or four. Um, it's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's I agree, a Cameron. Run. Cameron thinks it's crazy, too. Cameron approves of the, of the Burger Boys. Um, my parting shot this week is um, just for everybody to calm down. Um, I know that Duke is two and three for the first time in conference in like some very, some very long time. I don't remember exactly what the stat was, but I heard it somewhere. Um, but I just wanted to remind everybody two years ago, first year we were doing this podcast, we had only been doing this for, I think about a month and a half. And on this date in 2015, Duke had lost two straight games in conference. They had gotten blown out by Miami. Um, and the, uh, and and the team looked like, you know, Okafor had, had started the season so well. And then all of a sudden, maybe he was hurt. His production was slipping. Um, Justice Winslow, who had played so great at the beginning of the season, he was not playing well. Um, so lots of things were going wrong for Duke. And then all of a sudden, they turned the ship around. They went on a great Final Four run. We all remember Grayson Allen in the, in the Final Four game and in the championship game, um, leading the team to their fifth national championship. So... Guys, things go wrong in January. There's lots of time left. We haven't really seen this this team all together, all healthy 
all playing well. Um, so the ceiling is is still is still out there. Uh, as good as we played against Georgia Tech, as good as we played against some of the ranked teams early in the season, um, we have not seen this team at their at their at the height of their potential. We might not see them until the end of this month, until sometime in February, even maybe until sometime early in March, depending on when Jefferson gets healthy and if Giles and Bolden still have um, healing that they need to do. So my parting shot is just a reminder to everybody to relax. There's lots of season left and there's lots of really great basketball to watch both at Duke and around the country. So I think with that, we're, we're going to wrap up um, for Donald Wine, for Jason Evans, I'm Sam Klein. This was Duke Basketball Report Podcast, episode 67. Duke fan, take us home.